Good morning, everyone. My name is Kristen McGrew. I'm the Director of Children's Ministries, and it is an honor to have you with us this morning. Welcome to your church. We are so glad that you're here with us. Um, We're going to pray in just a second, so keep standing, but I have a couple of announcements. Um, In just eight days, we will launch into a stellar VBS week with over 700 children and about 300 volunteers. And we are so excited um, for that experience and to be able to share the love of Jesus with children all over our community and teach them how to shine the light of Jesus here in our hometown as well as across the world. So we would appreciate your prayers as we get ready to launch that adventure. If you are registered to either participate or volunteer, you can pick up your packet and your shirt in the Next Steps room. Um, If you are not able to volunteer, but you want to help out in some way, we would love donations of either bottled water or like some grab-and-go breakfast items, Pop-Tarts, granola bars, snack packs, things like that, so we can keep our our volunteers energized to be able to keep up with that many kids for the entire week, and you can drop those off anytime during the week. Um, We have an exciting service for you today. It is Communion Sunday, so if you're joining us online, you're going to want to make sure you grab your communion elements. You'll need something to dip and something to dip it in um, to to, uh, join us in communion later. Um, We are going to pray the Lord's Prayer together as we get this service started. So will you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father God, thank you for this gorgeous day that you've given us today, for all of creation that you've made for us to enjoy, God. I just want to say thank you. And I ask, God, that you would just pour out your love and your peace on every family that's with us today, whether they're here in this building or joining us online, God. I just ask that you wrap your arms around them. Let them know how much they're loved and how much um, just that you created them on purpose and for a purpose, God, and that we all have a piece to play in your greater story, God. So just remind us um, of how much you love us and how much you've given to us, God, and help us to go out into the world and shine your light. God, I lift up all of the people who will be here for Vacation Bible School. God, I just ask that you just open their ears and their hearts and their minds for what you have in store for them, God. Give the volunteers everything they need to be able to get through that week, God, and we just um, lift that up to you. We already celebrate the amazing impact that it's going to have, God, and we thank you for that. I pray for Pastor Scott as he brings the message to us this morning, God. Help us to hear what you have for us today and to be able to apply it into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. And we are so glad you guys are here with us today. Uh, If you were here with us last week, uh, we closed uh, the the service last week with a new song. And uh, we're going to sing that again today. Uh, If you were not here last week, don't stress. We're going to teach it to you. uh, So so you'll have an opportunity to to at least hear the chorus a couple times before we jump in. Um, but before, uh, before we start that, uh, I just wanted to, to share kind of where this song comes from. Uh, and it's, it's a song called Oh But God uh, by Shane and Shane. And it, it comes from uh, uh, the second chapter of Ephesians. And in that chapter, uh, Paul spends the first couple verses, the first three verses actually, talking about our position uh, before coming to know Jesus. Uh, the spiritual death, the despair, uh, and, and, and just that desperation that, uh, that we're all uh, a part of before, uh, before Christ intervenes in our lives. 
And then in verse four comes what I think is one of the most powerful verses in all of scripture. And it, it says up on the screen here, it says, uh, but God who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Can I get an amen or a hallelujah something for that? Um, and, and what you're gonna see with this song is that it, it kind of follows that same pattern. It talks about our position uh, before we know Jesus and then uh, our position through Jesus. And so um, we're gonna sing this, this, uh, this course a couple times um, just to familiarize with it. And then we'll get started, amen? Rich in mercy, how you love me Too much to let me stay lost My salvation, sin from heaven Nailing my sin to a cross Sing that one more time Rich in mercy, how you love me Too much to let me stay lost salvation sent from heaven made my sin to a cross over God you ready I was buried beneath my rebellion lost without hope in my need for a Savior, oh, but God, crushed by the weight of my failures, living the lie I created, digging my grave without knowing.
Give us Jesus. Give us you this morning. Those are hard words to say, just to take it all, God. And we recognize that that, that um, that's a difficult path to sometimes live out when you're singing a song like this, where we want everything else to fade except you. But we want to mean that this morning from the bottom of our hearts. God, all you never said that uh, life was going to be easy. You never promised us that we weren't going to have a journey to walk, uh, challenges to overcome. Lord, uh, in life, we've, we've got mountains and valleys and the journey. We're all broken, every single one of us. We have things that we're working through in our life. But God, I just pray that our eyes can stay focused on you you and you alone, you first, Lord, be the first priority in all that we do. And just help remind us this morning for all of those that might be walking through difficult times that um, you desire for those things to work in our hearts so that eventually what that does is it begins to draw us closer to you and who you are. We love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here together singing and worshiping um, a risen Savior. We love you and we give you back this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for worshiping uh, before you're seated this morning. Oh, y'all were so good. First service, I almost caught them off guard and they turned, they started to sit down. Find someone to greet and then you may be seated. Y'all did great. Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this beautiful, that's a gorgeous Sunday morning. My name is Scott Marino, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor to have you here in our family room or to have you joining us online today. Uh, there are a lot of places you could be, and we are honored that you've made the decision to be here with us. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe Jesus is the source of life. And so if there's anything we can do to help stand alongside you this week or any time, please let us know. It's been one of those, those weeks. Anybody have one of those weeks this week? Yeah, there's a lot going on. We had, some, we had some big celebrations. We had a change of command ceremony. We had a few weddings. We've also had two memorial services. And um, so, you know, it's like, it's like one of these where you go from one moment to another. You're not sure where you're at. And, and so, and I, I just say this, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. If you need anything, if there's a way that we can just love you in the midst of life, uh, just please give us an opportunity to do that. But so glad to, to have this time together today. So I have like um, 
a lot of announcements. And so I'm just going to wait on those for a second and just say this. I'm so excited about Vacation Bible School. Uh, I'm nervous. Uh, I looked at Kristen today and I said, is it, does it start tomorrow? She's like, no, 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 buddy. We're not ready for it. It's like the week from now. So 700 children showing up. And um, I think it's important for you to know, if you drive by this church or if you live down Soundside, to know that next week, Monday, Tuesday, and partially on Wednesday, just plan extra time. Because it will lock up traffic everywhere to the best of our ability. It takes us about three days, two and a half days to get everybody trained and kind of in line where they need to be. And then it gets much better. Um, if you live on Soundside and you're used to going out this way, you might want to go down Nantahala just to try and figure something else out. But uh, be patient. Um, what I'm excited about is we're getting to tell 700 people about Jesus. 700 children. So be praying. It's going to be awesome. I, I, I never know what I'm going to be doing. I know I'll be on stage. And, I, and so I asked Kristen, I said, so it's, it's about space. It's stellar, right? Yeah, it's outer space. I said, so am I a Martian? Am I? A, uh, so I think Clint and I are like spacemen things. So our costumes are coming in. It should be exciting. I don't know. Who knows? The things you do as a lead pastor um, for Jesus or, or for Kristen. <laughs> so here are the, the announcements I'd love to kind of mention to you. For those of you who don't know, um, we've, we've been growing like crazy over these last few months and trying to figure out how to spread everybody out. When we get into the fall, August 6th, we're going to go to three full services on a Sunday morning, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And there's a whole story behind how we came up with those service times. Some of you like them, some of you don't like them. That's what they are for now. If they don't work, we'll change them. But 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And as we've worked through that as a team, everybody's tracking it. We're getting everything done and getting everything in place. And we're excited about it, looking forward to it. Um, I love being a part of a church that's growing and um, experiencing the growth pains that we're, that we're going through. But we were in a meeting last week, and I could tell everybody was kind of stressed. You ever had that meeting before where you look around and people just look like, ah, ah, ah. I said, well, well, what can I do to help you? And they said, we need people. Like we have all of these, we're going to add services, and we need people to help with these different roles. I said, well, what can I do? They said, get up and talk about it. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to, over the next six weeks, just take the first three to five minutes of the service and mention to you some of the areas that we would love for you to consider serving in. Some of these are random. You would never even think about them, but they may be your profession. They may be things that you are really proficient at, and you may be able to serve at the church and do some amazing things for us for a season that we would have never been able to do had you not connected. So I'm going to read some of these if they speak to your heart when the service ends today, um, we've got tables out in the lobby. Um, go by there, see the folks, they'll get you connected. And even if they don't, grab someone and drag them in and get them connected. Because there's no way. I mean, when you think about the growth that we're going through, it's so exciting to be a part of this. And it's going to take all of us to be doing the things that God has called us to do to, to make it happen. Amen? So three ministries that we're really fo focusing on today, worship ministry, communications, and security. So on the worship team, um, we need these four areas, people to, to consider this. Uh, a, a person who works with audio. Uh, you maybe are a person that's been mixing your whole life and you didn't know we could use help in that area. We do all sorts of events throughout the week. If that's something you've done, great. We would love to hear from you. If it's something that you're interested in, we'll train you if you're trainable. If not, we'll put you somewhere else. So uh, an audio technician. Uh, lighting team, doing some great things with lighting, coming up with production, working on all of that for the online streaming stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll teach you how to do all of that. Cameras. If you grew up in the 80s and you love video games, all you have to do is keep me in the box. 
It's not as easy as you think, <laughs> but just keep me in the box. And we would love to have you work on cameras. We'll train you for that. And then computers, the lyrics that you guys read on a Sunday morning, we have to have somebody back there pushing the button on all of that. So we need help there as well. Communications department, uh, we need photographers. We have a lot of really good ones, but we have more events than we have photographers. So we would love to bolster that list and grow that, um, that, that pocket of community that we have. And we need people all the time from vacation Bible school to the baptism services that we do all over the place. So consider that. Graphic designers, maybe that's your profession. Um, you can work from home. There are things we can have you design for sermon series and, and all of that. So consider that. A videographer, we need someone that understands how to video and shoot testimonies. We're going to be starting to do a little bit more of that here in the future. And then a, a sound film editor, so someone who can then take that stuff and video it all and put it all together. And then finally, the security team, the security ministry, they need uh, 20 men or women to help out to fill the gaps. Um, you'll serve once or maybe twice a month. And um, if you're a person, you're like, security, I love being on security, we don't want you on security. That's not the kind of security we're looking for. Uh, we, we, we look at you, we're like, ah! Um, we're looking for people who see, are aware, are diligent. When you guys are praying, there are always people watching. We want to make sure this place is safe for you to be able to worship. And so if you're a person that you, you just know, your life has prepared you to pay attention to things and notice when things don't look right, um, we'd love for you to consider jumping in and being part of the security team. Amen? All right. Okay. Well, amen. I'll say it for you. Um, so we're excited about all the stuff that's coming up. So we're in a series called Kingmaker, and what we've been doing is, is looking at the story of 1 Samuel, and in, and in much of this, really Samuel, and we're going to start deviating a little bit. Samuel is still in the stories, but we're going to start talking more about Saul and more about David as we go forward. But we're looking about a time period in Israel's history where God transitions Israel from a, a real deplorable place probably the worst in their history, to one of their most prosperous times, which was the kingdom period. When you think of the kings of Saul and of David and of Solomon, when God really blessed them and grew their territory and, and how that transition takes place. That's the, the book of 1 Samuel. And so we've been going through and looking at these people, but real quick, let me kind of show you the time frame or the timeline. So here's Jesus. And if you back all the way up to Abraham, here's Abraham down here. God made covenant with Abraham. This is the people of God. And then God had to move them into Egypt to protect them from a famine that was coming. They spent 400 years in Egypt, but they were enslaved. And then God had to get them out of there. And that's the Exodus. And so he goes in there through the 10 plagues, moves them out of Egypt, takes them across um, the desert and gets them over on the edge of the promised land. But they're not ready to go in. Their hearts fail. They're not ready to go in. And so they wander in the wilderness right here for 40 years until ultimately Joshua leads them into the promised land. They go in, they fight the battles, they take over a ton of land, and then the people of God are established. And when Joshua dies, he sends everybody back to their tribes to go self-govern, to allow God to lead them, regional leadership. That is the time period known as the Judges. And Israel just starts to spiral, that they don't follow the understandings and the heart of God. They start to adopt all of the other gods that are around them. And it's one of the worst times in the history of Israel. We are showing up right at the end of that time frame, right here in this little part, portion, where along comes this woman named Hannah, and she has incredible faith, and the story transitions from there, and God uses a series of people to move all of Israel from that time period into the kingdom time period. So as we've gone through and we've studied it, and I'm not going to do a full recap on what we've done to this point, um, if you were to ask what was the, the biggest theme over these chapters that we've looked at, for me, you start to see God drawing out the difference between 
being named an Israelite and then versus truly being a person who has a heart after God. And, and so all of these messages has this compare and contrast narrative to it. And, and, and so here, I'll give you an example. In week one, we could see the deplorable nature of Israel, but that was compared to Hannah. So Hannah shows up as a person who's walking through and dealing with infertility, but she has so much faith that in a time when Israel is corrupt and, and in a bad place, she cries out to God and she trusts in her faith and God blesses her. And so you see this comparison of, of what God desires versus what God is looking at. And so then the next, you go into week two, Hannah, God blesses Hannah and she has a child, names him Samuel, and she dedicates him to the Lord and drops him off at the temple. And so in the second week, you get this comparison of Eli, who's the high priest, and his two sons who are corrupt, versus Samuel, who's now 12, 13, 14 years of age, and scripture tells you that he doesn't allow one single word that God speaks to him to fall to the ground. So once again, you have this comparison of, of people who are supposed to represent God in the right way, and then those people who have the true heart of God. So throughout this entire book, you start to see that narrative. Then we moved last week into Saul, and if you haven't heard that sermon, go back. It is a rabbit trail. We chase squirrels all over this building to give you an insight into scripture that I don't know that I'd ever seen before that helps us to understand Saul a little bit better. It comes from a very broken place. But you run into this story where the people have got, Saul's been anointed to be king, but he hasn't done anything yet. And this group on the outside attacks an Israelite city and the people just don't know what to do about it. Saul has this righteous indignation that, that rises up inside of him and he calls all of Israel to bear. And so all of Israel rallies behind him and they go attack this foreign king and they deal with them and they protect the city. So you see the compare and the contrast. And so now as we move forward today, I'm gonna tell you these, these messages start to really bear that out as you go through Samuel especially as you move towards David, which was known as a, with a man who had a heart after God. So we're going to ultimately get there, and that's going to be next week. But if you were to look at the chapters that are in between, so we leave Samuel, uh, uh, Saul, in chapter 11. He has all of Israel rallied behind him. Then we move through chapters uh, 12, 13, and 14, and we start to learn about Saul's leadership, that um, he can be rash, he can be petulant, he makes decisions quickly, and it's not always for the best of his group. He'll make declarations when God hasn't asked him to do that, and he'll step into the role sometimes of the priest when he's not a priest. So he's dabbling in all sorts of areas, and you can see God trying to, to get Saul in the right place, and Samuel's trying to bark at him to get him in the right place, but you kind of see this person who started off as humble, not even wanting to be king, is starting to really enjoy this role of being a king. And in those chapters, if you're looking for the comparison, you start to learn about his son, Jonathan, whose scripture raises up as this real faithful young man who fights the Philistines and, and really battles well and listens to God and is willing to, to really put his faith out there. Versus Saul, who makes a declaration to his army and he says, well, they, they lose this battle and he says, that's it, nobody eats until Saul has been avenged. And so his warriors just go fight and fight and fight and they're going through days without food or, ever, or any sort of sustenance. Well, Jonathan wasn't there when he makes the declaration. And so Jonathan shows up. He sees this, this hive of honey and he takes some honey and he eats it. And, his, and the troops go, oh, you're in big trouble. The king said the person will be cursed that did that. And so you go through this process in chapter 14 where, um, where Saul calls him out. And Saul's ready to murder and kill his son for that one act of disobedience. And all of Israel comes together and says, you absolutely will not. 
And, they, and scripture says that they redeemed Jonathan. It's one of the most amazing scriptures that you see. They redeemed Jonathan and they protected him. So you start to see the comparison of the faithfulness of Jonathan and then Saul as we move forward in the scripture. And so let me read for you just the end of chapter 14 because it gives you a, a snapshot of, of what Saul's kingship was like. So 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 47 and 48. It says, when Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all the enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah and the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he, he routed them. He did valiantly and struck down the Amalekites and rescued Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. And then it ends with verse 52. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw, when Saul saw, any strong or valiant warrior, he took him into his service. And so all those young men, remember, remember Samuel said to the people, you don't want a king because if you get a king, he'll start to take your young men, he'll start to take your daughters, he'll start to take your land, and you start to see this happen now as we're going forward. Which then gets us to chapter 15. And this is where the train comes off the tracks for Saul. And um, I'll just say up front that there's one verse in this chapter that I think... Um, is so significant to Israel, their lives together, and what we're reading here in 1 Samuel, and then is so relevant to us. All those years ago, 3,000 years ago, when this book was written, I'm telling you, this scripture that we're going to read today, I think bears directly on our lives and how we live going forward, and I'm, I'm looking forward to unpack that. But I'm going to give you a warning. As we move into chapter 15, I'm, I'll paraphrase the first nine verses. But this is one of those chapters where God commands Saul to go to a group of people and utterly obliterate them. And I'm giving you a warning because at the end of the sermon, I'm going to try and give you some thoughts about that. Because if you've ever been talking to somebody about the faith and they say, yeah, well, I can't believe in a God who would say this, and they call that one scripture out, I want you to have some information to consider. And, and I think it's important for us to say that Scott doesn't exactly know the heart of God, and neither do you. So we're just trying to make sense of what we read about in scripture. What we do know is that everything that's written here is to help us to prepare to live our lives and to understand so that we don't fall into the same mistakes that they made. Amen? So, um, so I want you to know that that's in there. and We'll deal with it as we get to the end of the sermon. So in the beginning of chapter 15, Samuel, God calls Samuel and says, I want you to go to Saul and tell him this, get the troops together and let's go. We're going to go fight the Amalekites. And when you get there, I want you to utterly obliterate them, all of them, men, women, children, donkeys, goats, everything. Everything is to be sacrificed and everything is to be destroyed. Nothing is to remain from them. And I'm doing this because of how they treated us when we left Egypt during the Exodus. And, um, and so here's what you need to know. God is picking up a battle from 400 years prior. As Israel was coming out of Egypt... They weren't soldiers, they were slaves, and God set them free. And so as they're crossing the desert, they're attacked. The rear part of their group, a million of these people are moving across the desert. The Amalekites come in and attack the rear part of them. And, and why that's important is because this is the people that were moving slower, the elderly, the women with children. They swoop in, they kill them, they plunder, they take some of them, and they leave. And so God musters together an army, and this is where you get the story of Moses holding up his hands, and as long as his hands were up, they were winning the battle, but when he set his arms down, they started to lose. It's the story of Moses and Aaron. That's where it happens. And after that battle, 
God declares that they will be destroyed and blotted out from the earth for what they did to them. Here we are. If God says it, it's going to happen, right? 400 years later now, God is circling back around to deal with this group of people. And so Saul goes to battle and um, he goes in and he wins. Except here's what he does. He destroys everyone except the king, whose name is Agag, keeps him as a trophy because it's always good to have a king hanging around, right? Look what I did. So he keeps the king for some reason. And then they keep all of the best of everything else, the spoils of war, all of the sheep, all of the donkeys, all the gold. They just keep it all for themselves. And so you can see this problem's already starting to happen um, and starting to unfold. But Saul's pretty proud of the work that he's done. And he's going on like a goodwill tour celebrating his mighty victory. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 15. It says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. And quote, I love when now we're going to hear exactly what God says. I imagine Samuel sleeping. He's chilling. And God's like, Samuel, you awake? Good. Let's talk. Because that's kind of the relationship that God had with Samuel. He says, I regret that I made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and he has not carried out my commands. End quote. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord, all night. Could you imagine being a person who heard God so well that God had those kind of conversations with you? He's like, hey, you wake up, let's talk. I'm just not really thrilled about what's going on over here. I need you to go do this. I need you to go do that. Okay, go do that. You see this interaction that Samuel has with God. God is frustrated about what Saul is doing, more so because of what it's going to ultimately do to Israel. He's the king. He's supposed to be representing God, and now he doesn't even, he's just not even doing what God has asked him to do. And then we see Samuel, and I love this about Samuel, that if God is mad, guess who else is mad? Samuel. Samuel is the shadow of God. If God is upset, Samuel's upset. If God has to say something, Samuel's going to be his mouthpiece. And so everywhere he goes, he's going to speak. Now you may say, Scott, why is that? Number one, because he's a prophet and he's good at it. But number two, you have to remember this in this story. Samuel used to be the judge of Israel. And so his job was to lead Israel. And Israel decided, we want a king. So he anoints a king. The king takes over, and now Samuel steps back. Saul is leading, and Saul's being an idiot. And so what was his role is not being fulfilled in the way that it should be. And so Samuel's just ticked off about it. He's like, I can't believe this is happening. So God's mad, Samuel's mad, and the next morning, there's going to be a conversation. And so here we go. That's, that's the heart by which you have to read this. Verse 12, Samuel rose early in the morning. He probably didn't sleep. He rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And Samuel was told, and so he goes out, he's like, where's Saul? And Samuel was told, Saul went to Carmel, where he set up a monument for who? Not even for God. So we go from the Saul who didn't even want to be king to the Saul who really loving being king now. And in case you're wondering to keep in score, Carmel is the place where um, Elijah calls down fire from heaven it's the entry point into, into Jerusalem. It's right there across from Gilgal. It's a very important part. And so he sets up an idol or a statue. They don't call it an idol, but they sets up this monument for himself. Um, a monument for himself. And on returning, passed on down to Gilgal. Now, Gilgal is about 15 miles from there. You think Samuel's going to wait for him to get to him? Nope. He's going to walk it off. And so he starts walking down there. He walks 15 miles, verse 13. It says, when Samuel came to Saul, Saul said to him, may you be blessed by the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. You ever run into those people that are so religious and you're just like, ah. And I love religious people. 
if, if they're authentic, if they are, they are, but sometimes they come up to you and you're like, nah, I'm going to, nah, okay. You guys all know what I'm saying. That's the way that Saul greets him. And Samuel is just, you can just know that he's grating because he's just had this conversation with God. He's like, hey, brother Saul, Samuel, it's so good to see you. Verse 14, but Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of these sheep in my ears and the lowing of cattle that I hear? Now, Saul's about to get on the excuse bus. You ever been on the excuse bus? You get busted for things, you just start making up excuses. That's exactly what Saul's gonna do right here. Saul said, they, he starts right off, blaming somebody else, he's the king. They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, there's another excuse, spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord. Who's God? Isn't that telling? The Lord's your God. But the rest, what does he do here? We have utterly destroyed. So as far as my part is concerned, I did good. But everybody else blew it. You want to talk about those sheep? Go talk to them. The people blew it. They did that. Saul, this is so crazy. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Some translations say, shut up. Some translations say, stop talking. It depends on whether you're from the South or where you're from, whether you're kind or not, right? But he tells him to stop talking. Quit running your mouth. Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he says, speak. Verse 17, Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, other translations say, though you were little in your own eyes. Remember, he didn't want to be king. Are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Tell me, Saul. You think he's got a good reason now? Probably not. Just gonna pull up those same old excuses. Verse 20, Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. So he's like, other than this trophy that I have, this other king, I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. Verse 21, but from the spoil, who? The people. The king is blaming the people. The people took sheep and cattle, the best of the things devoted to destruction. So, so God, listen, they took it, but their intent was right. They're gonna sacrifice it to you. The best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord, once again, your God and Gilgal. So he just throws the same old excuses out there. And I imagine Samuel is just livid at this particular point because then he speaks and he gives insight and information now. And this is where we're gonna get our verse in a second that really speaks to them there and us here now. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the voice of the Lord? Surely to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. We're gonna circle back around at the end and we're gonna talk about that. Verse 23, for rebellion is no less a sin than divination or witchcraft and stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. You think maybe he's got Saul's attention now? I don't know, we'll see. But here's, here's an interesting part. Verse 23, he says, rebellion is no less sin than, than divination is. One of the markers of Saul's kingship 
is that the, the diviners, the, those who were part of witchcraft in Israel at that time, he was merciless on them. He destroyed them, he killed them, he kicked them out. And so what Samuel is saying is what you're doing is just as bad as what they did. So you're not off the hook here, buddy. What you're doing is wrong. Your rebellion and your stubbornness is just as bad as the stuff that they did. And so he's letting them know that. Now, verse 24 is interesting. Right off the bat, Saul, Saul apologizes. Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. But even in his apology, he's still blaming the people, right? Like, have you ever had those moments where, where you, you, not my kids, my kids are perfect, right? I got to say that because you're here. Um, where you bust your kids doing something and they're like, oh, and, you, and they know they're caught. And they're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But if they were younger, they're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Can we have ice cream now? Like they transition so fast. Because they don't understand the difference between truly being sorry and apologizing and what that means, the heart of that, and just saying the words, the empty words. And so he says, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Verse 25, now therefore, I pray, pardon me and return with me so that I may worship the Lord. I'm sorry that I listened to the voice of the people. Okay, let's get this over with. Pardon me so that we can go and, uh, and, and do these sacrifices and we can worship the Lord. Do you know how they were going to worship the Lord? They were going to sacrifice those animals that were already supposed to be destroyed. So like Samuel is over there going, are you kidding me right now? Like, who do you think you are? Like this apology just came off as hollow. Verse 26, Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And I'll paraphrase the rest. And then Samuel turns to walk away and Saul reaches out and grabs his cloak. And when he does, it rips and just like any good preacher, Samuel seizes the moment. And he says, just like my cloak ripped, so will God rip this kingdom from you. He's like, it'll be taken from your hands and it'll be given to one of your neighbors. That's foreshadowing of David. And then you go on down through the rest of the story. And, um, and Samuel goes over and says, bring King Agag to me. And he not only kills King Agag, it's a horrible thing that he does to him. He just totally destroys him. I'll say it that way to try and keep it okay for in here. He totally destroys him because there's such an anger against the sin that's taken place. And so he totally destroys him. And then we get down to the end of this in verse 34. It says, then Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul and the Lord was sorry that he made Saul king over Israel. And so we find ourselves at, at this point in the story where we, we have to wonder what God's going to do next, right? We, Saul has just completely fallen off the tracks. Um, it looked like we, were, we, we had Hannah and then we had Samuel. And we're like, yes, God's moving all of Israel. And then we get to Saul and the whole thing starts to crash down. But there's a message in here that we've got to understand that, that the scripture is screaming to us about. And we're going to look at it in a moment. But first, let's talk about this wipe everybody out verse, which I believe is, is verse three. So chapter 15, verse three, where God commands Saul to go and utterly obliterate the Amalekites to get rid of them. It's so hard for us as we read this, for our sensibilities to, to wrestle that to the ground, right? I mean, we think about children, we think about life. It doesn't seem like something that we'd be able to be a part of or to understand. And once again, I'm going to tell you, I don't profess to know exactly or to know the heart of God or why God would do this. I just know that there's got to be more to the story. And so let me build the narrative around you so that you know what these people are about, who they are, and how they show up in history, so the first thing that you need to know about the Amalekites is that they're a Bedouin group. So they travel around from place to place and they raid. 
They go into cities and they steal and they pilfer and they, they, and they just take things from other people, which you think, that's not worth everybody being wiped out, but, but here's how they show up. So if you're in a city and your city now gets together all the fighting men and we're gonna go off and we're gonna go fight someone, when you go do that, they then sweep in and they take all of the women and all of the children and they plunder the city and their faith system surrounds child sacrifice. And so you can imagine what happened to all of those children that they didn't take and enslave and all of the wives that are all the women that they didn't take and enslave or use as their own wives. It was a horrible group of people in the way that they went about this. And that's exactly what they did to the Israelites when they were coming up out of Egypt, except now it's 400 years later and God is going back in to deal with them. So there's something that's about this group of people and the evil that they perpetrate on this world that God has decided to deal with them and get rid of them ultimately. Now, just to give you the history of what happens going forward, because Saul was supposed to get rid of them, and he doesn't. And so here's three more instances where this group of people show up because Saul didn't do what he was supposed to do. The first one is this. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 30, David is in a city called Ziglag, and uh, he's there with his two wives. He's not become king yet. It's getting close to the end of Saul's reign. He's not become king, and, and they and the fighting men go out to fight, and while they're out, The Amalekites come in and they steal all of their women and children and they take off with them. David comes back with his fighting man after winning the battle and they realize that everybody has been taken or killed and the people of the city start to mourn so hard that they decide they're going to stone and kill David for this. Now think about what that would mean to Israel in our Bible, right? Like that would change history forever. Like they're ready to stone him for this. David goes and seeks the Lord. God gives him wisdom and insight and they go after these people, they get them and they deal with them. All right, so that's one instance. A second instance where they show up. When Saul is finally killed and and is run through with a sword, guess who does it? An Amalekite. So really, he's judged by his own sin and what what he didn't do and and carry out in his life. And then finally, the story of Esther. Um, For those who don't know, go read the story of Esther. There is a a person in the story called Haman, which is, he's an Agagite. Remember the name of this king? Agag? He is a descendant, and you, tra- you can trace his bloodline through, and, and Haman puts together this opportunity to obliterate all of the Jewish nation, all of the Israelites, and they're about to go create or, or bring genocide on the Israelites, except for Esther is in the right place at the right time, married to the king, and saves all of Israel. Those are three instances of, of what happens because he was not faithful in what God asked him to do. Now, does that justify what we read? I don't know. I just want you, when you run into somebody and somebody says, I can't believe in a God that asks anybody to do this, to have information about those people so that maybe you can speak to it in a better way. Does that help? Okay, so now let's move on to the point of the message. So what brings us us back to the main point. In the middle of this chapter, there is this verse, verse 22, that obedience is greater than sacrifice. And so what is Samuel saying to Saul when he tells him, listen, I want you to know that, that obedience is greater than sacrifice. What you've done is wrong. The word obedience in the Hebrew means more than just blindly doing what's been asked of you. The word obedience means to be connected to, to know the heart of, and to live into what's been asked of you versus the sacrifice piece, which is the religious connotation or the religious note or the, the acting out of or the part of the religious ceremony that pulls it all together. Okay, so there's the the authentic connection to God versus the symbolic connection to God, and both of them work together. And so what he's saying is, is obedience is so much more important than sacrifice, because if you're just doing math, 
If you have a sacrifice without obedience, then the sacrifice doesn't really matter because your heart's not connected to God. Here's a better way to look at it. It's the difference between a person who looks perfect on the outside, like a good person who believes in God, but you meet them and you get to know them and they are a rotten individual. And so what we find happening in the story is that Saul is starting to revert back to what they saw in the people of Israel, that they were people of God only in in the way that they practiced, that they were named for God, they were the people of God, but in their hearts, they were depraved. They were in the worst possible state. And so you see him starting to get to this place and what it smacks of is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Acting like you know the heart of God because of this religious sacrifice that you want to do so that people will look at Saul and see that he's done this great work, but really he's not even done what God has asked him to do. And so Samuel is judging him for that, and it gets right back to the heart of what we're talking about in the text, that God is driving down to our hearts, to what, the way that we live, the way that we function in our lives, and, and, and how we process things. And I'm going to tell you, we're still guilty of it today. And so if we just wrestle this into our context, if you've ever been talking to someone and they say to you, I, I just, I'm never going to go to a church because I've seen what these pastors do, or I'm never going to go to a church because of what they stand for, or I couldn't believe in a God that would ever do this, or, or, or whatever, they say that, right? And they have good reason to do that because churches have not represented God well, Amen. I mean, what you, you don't have to look far to find the latest and greatest pastor that's fallen or whatever. And, I, and I, I be, I'm trying to be careful in all of these things that I say because I don't want to be guilty of the very same things, right? If you've watched any of the, the Hillsong documentary, how can an organization that, that, that created some of the most amazing worship music, billions of dollars, a billion dollar industry, be full of corrupt men and women that spent the money on themselves and did some of the craziest, most vile things and never use the money to do the things that you would consider to be scripturally right. And, and, and then people of the world are looking around, they're like, why would I ever serve a God that would do that? And here's the truth. The people that live around us in our neighborhoods, they just want to see someone who's authentic. They just want to see someone who truly believes what they read and what they study and someone that will represent love to them in a way that's not going to harm them or hurt them or destroy them. Jesus in the New Testament on the Sermon of the Mount, he he delivers this message and it just freaked everybody out. He said, you've heard it said, do not commit murder, right? Like that's one of the 10 commandments, don't commit murder. And they're like, yeah, we're doing good on that one. Like I haven't committed murder today. He says, I'm gonna tell you something that's a little bit different. He says, I'm gonna tell you, don't even be angry with your brother. It's the difference between, okay, I got right, I did the law right, the practice, the sacrifice, But in my heart of hearts, I'm ticked off at everybody and I hate everybody. Jesus says, that's not the way it works. Allow yourself to be transformed. And if your heart is different, then you'll never get to the place to where you want to murder somebody. He says, you've heard it said, said, don't don't commit adultery. Like, okay, that's great. He says, but in your heart of hearts, you're lusting all over the place. He's saying, don't don't even allow lust to be in your heart. Start in the transformation piece of who we are. And then when people experience us, then they'll truly experience Christ. Could you imagine if the body of Christ lived that way? Could you imagine if people looked at us and in our lives and they didn't just see a religious box and figures who lived in a way so that we looked holy, but inside we were broken? If they truly saw people, not because we were perfect and not because we got it right, but because in our heart of hearts, we were seeking after and we wanted to experience that transformation. That's what this message is all about. That's what this message is all about. It's not about being perfect. As we shift over to David, David had his mistakes. David made lots of mistakes. 
But as soon as they happened, he was the first one to go, God, I repent. I am so sorry. And he lays his heart down and he truly repents. And he would get, him, and he would get himself in line. That's the difference of what we're talking about in this message as we're going forward. And so my hope and my prayer is, is in all of this, that we'll start to live like people that, that aren't so concerned with the ritual, but more concerned with, with the transformation. So that when people look at us, they see Christ in us. Amen? Amen. I'd like to invite the communion stewards to come forward. The message carries right to this table. Um, I, I started thinking about what this means. Clint, Clint's forever trying to get me to use the right words. I, I have always said, we're going to take communion. Clint's like, you don't take communion, you receive communion. I'm like, okay, I'm going to work on that. I still say we're going to take communion, right? But the truth is, we don't take, if you take communion, it's just a thing you do. If you receive communion, there's a heart behind it. Does that, does that make sense to everybody? There's a heart behind being aware of a broken body and shed blood. And I think my word today is allow this broken body to break our bodies. Allow the message of Christ, the one who loved us and gave his life for us, to, to bring us to a place to where we would, we would love those that are around us and give our lives for them too. A body that's been broken, blood that's been shed, so that we can do the exact same thing. That's learning how to not be hypocrites. That's learning how to, to truly understand the, the message of Christ, a life that was given for all of us so that, so that they can truly, this world can truly know what God was all about. And so that's my hope today as we approach this table to, to receive communion. It was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus took bread. He gave thanks and then he broke it. And he turned and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat, do so in remembrance of me. Then in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink, do so in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, I thank you for, for your heart. I thank you that you are ever so patient with us. I've been Saul more in my life than I care to admit. And I think that's fair for all of us. God, there are moments when we put the smile on and we act like we're the best version of ourselves when, when deep inside, God, we're broken and we're hurting. And I just pray that today, Lord, we can start to understand what it means to allow your transformation to happen. And in so many ways, God, it starts right here at this table, receiving your body and your blood and understanding that there was one who loved us. And it's from the, the sustaining power of that love that we receive the ability to then go love others. So God, I pray for each and every person, God, whether they need healing or hope or direction, that God, you would provide it every step of the way. Lord, we love you. We trust you. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, as we, we get set up, um, I want you to know that you do not have to be a member of Community Life Church to take communion with us. Um, you're part of the family if you're here and you're welcome to, to take communion or to receive communion. Um, when you come forward, we take communion by, jeez, maybe Clint should do communion. We receive communion by intention. So if you'll come forward and hold your hand out, we will place a piece of bread in your hand. Take that bread, dip it in the cup and receive communion that way. I have a gluten-free alternative for those who have special dietary needs. If you'll come forward, either myself or Addie will be happy to serve you. Um, we have uh, baskets on the stage. Every time we receive communion, we, we take up a communion offering. Um, that helps to take care of folks that are here in the community. 
that need help with electric and water and, and those sorts of things. And I'm just going to say, you guys are such a tremendous blessing. Um, that, that account it has everything that we've needed to do with it whenever the need comes up. And so thank you for, for constantly making sure that that resource um, is there. I think, I think that's it. Table is set. I invite the first few rows to stand. Exit your row to your right and come forward as you're able. Oh, uh, we have individually wrapped cups down front. If you're nervous about germs, you can just take some of those with you. Yes, you 
to take yourself home. We hope you've received a word this morning, a word to, uh, to encourage you, a word, uh, a word to helpfully understand God a little bit more in our place in this world. I'm so thankful that we can gather together as a family. We can share a meal together. We can pray together. We can learn together. We can worship and we can talk about difficult things. We can struggle through some of those, those hard things. And that's the kind of church, that's the kind of people we are. We don't shy away from those things that we step right into those places and we're going to trust and have the faith and hope that, uh, that, that God goes before us and has an incredible plan for our lives. We thank you so much for being here. If this is your first time with us this morning, we invite you to meet us right out at the front desk. We'd love to get you connected that way. Or if you're here to pick up a vacation Bible school packet, uh, that's happening in the next steps room, just right out in the lobby as well. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for this moment that we can come together. We can talk about difficult things, we can struggle, we can wrestle, but at the end, we're gonna lean into our faith in your son, Jesus, who pulls it all together. God, you do, you hold our lives in your hands. So I pray that this week you would lead us well, that we'd be the sort of followers uh, who would drag other people along with us, and that you would just help us to have an incredible, uh, incredible faith. We love you and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen.